So before our first meditation, I would like to give some orientation or suggestion for the sitting practice. And uh, towards the end of uh, the session this morning, uh, there will be also some space to clarify some questions or doubts you might have. So, just uh, within the Tibetan tradition, there's many different maps of the meditative journey and uh, because uh, in the group in Malmö we uh, study a text or we read a text which uh, belongs to the Dzogchen tradition, one of the lineages within uh, Tibetan Buddhism and I would like to assume the view of the Sokshin approach, Sokshin Tibetan word means or can be translated as uh, the great perfection. And that that lineage, that tradition holds a view. And that basic assumption is that we have everything available right now to be complete, to be in peace, to be whole. It is just a matter of discovering that. And this discovery can happen only in the present moment. It's not something which is happening in the future. So it is uh, the basic assumption that heaven is now. That we are just not trusting it or that we are often not available to relax into that. An image uh, this morning came to me that there is a swarm of fish in the shoreless ocean of consciousness and that that, that swarm of fish is just swimming back and forth and gets afraid and contracts and goes somewhere else and then tries to swim somewhere where there's better food. And that uh, swarm of fish in the shoreless ocean of, uh, of consciousness, of awareness, is um, the narrative self and its stories. And we are trying to inhabit that swarm of fish. So we identify with that swarm of fish, which is completely unstable and restless all the time. It never rests. It never arrives. It's always seeking that swarm of fish. And it's always afraid. It's always like this swarm of fish is always like, insecure. And it never stabilizes itself. It never pauses. It always leans into the next moment. There's a sense of seeking, a sense of lack in that swarm of fish. And we live there. We we inhabit that place. And it sucks, but it's also kind of nice, because it's familiar. 
We are familiar with being dissatisfied. We are familiar with suffering. Sometimes we try to control this form. We apply provisional antidotes like positive thinking, you know, trying to think our way to peace. And it never works out. It's just a kind of make up, which is kind of washed down by the next rain. So that's the swarm of fish, the narrative self and its conditioning and habits, memories, eternal, eternal dissatisfaction. So at one point, we might become disenchanted with that. It's just like we see it's hopeless. I tried everything. I tried to improve the swarm of fish. A never-ending self-improvement <coughs> projects. And then we try, we try to make the swarm of fish more compassionate, try to make it calmer, try to have better thoughts. So the suggestion in the, in the Tsokshan approach is to become curious to uh, shift from this strong identification, from that strong clinging to that swarm of fish and its, and its futile uh, and our futile attempt to, to control, uh, to just deeply relax softening the grasping and starting to inhabit the ocean. To start to inhabit, maybe first to become kind of aware of it from the point of view of the fish, still. So you still believe that you're the fish, but suddenly something in the fish starts to kind of, hey, there's something bigger here. So you get a sense of a presence, or you get a sense, hey, that's not all I am. There's more to me. Uh, but then actually uh, make that shift of our identification uh, into, you could, you could call it many names, into into the into the witnessing, into the presence, into the knowingness, into consciousness itself, into awareness itself. So you you become aware of being aware. You're becoming conscious about being conscious. You relax that fascination with the content and the patterns and the movements and all this important thought and the radio station. Uh, and uh, you get you get kind of tired by it, you know, sick like shit. Am I supposed to listen this? Uh, am I supposed to listen to that all all my life now? That 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 uh, kind of shift 
that could be called one one aspect of awakening. So you awake from that trance, that identification with that always changing, always moving swarm of fish, which is uh, seeking. So you relax that and you relax into, or there is a relaxation into, because you you, you don't take you with you into that relaxation. You, like the the little you, stays in the fish. So there's a relaxation into innermost awareness, your essential self, into the into presence, into that which is which is bigger than you, which uh, we all have tastes of. We all have a, a kind of knowing, a sense there is more. And sometimes it breaks through, kind of the ocean breaks through, like on a cloudy day when suddenly there's a, an openness and the, sky, the, the, sh, the sun shines through. So sometimes that kind of sun which shines through might even be, it, felt so, felt, it feels almost as if it is something like something other than you. So, like if we come from a Christian tradition, we would maybe for some time think, wow, this is like, this is the presence of God. But here in the Tzokshan tradition, uh, that that moment of uh, where you feel that presence, which can be sometimes described as the presence of God in, in the Christian context, is recognized as your own true nature, your own inner radiance, not not some angels, not some being, yeah? but but your true self, your real self, the capital letter self. So I, I use the word surrendering. So that's trust. And it's difficult because we are trusting so much, uh, trying to figure things out, trying to understand, trying to get somewhere. And, and that's fine. These movements are fine and they are, they, they are going to happen. So it's not about trying to stop them or trying to stop thinking. So there's space for the fish. It's just it's just that you are not the fish. Or if that is a bit too much right now, at least I guess we can all acknowledge. Yeah, but there's something bigger. And one kind of proof, or you know, how we can trust that more is by seeing. Yeah, the fish they come and go. I mean. I'm thinking all this kind of shit and it comes and goes and it's different. But there's something which remains. I mean, if, if you stop thinking for a split of a second, you know, just now, or you imagine, like right now, you imagine, okay, so no thought. You are still there. So you are still there. And then feelings, so different feelings come. 
this morning you feel a certain way, this afternoon you feel different, but you remain. So what is that you? That which remains. There's memories, there's talks, the fish. But to, to whom is that happening? So if you look there, you don't, you don't find anything. There's, there's no eye there. That's why it said that in, 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 this, uh, in the text of, uh, on the Dzogchen tradition, it is said it's undescribable, ungraspable. So you actually can't look at it from the, from the fish. Because the fish, the thoughts and the sensations and the feelings, they are object of awareness. They are not aware. Thoughts themselves, sensations themselves, feelings themselves, they, they can't know. They are known. They are objects of awareness. That, that what you can be aware of is not aware. It's what you are aware of. But then if you look into that which is aware, you don't see anything. There's nothing there. But something opens up. That there's nothing there you know, can be like a response uh, of, uh, you know, when you, when you relax there, you say, well, there's... But it's not like... Oh, there's nothing there. Holy shit. No, it's like, wow, there's, there's nothing there. Wow. There is really... Wow, there's nothing there. Wow. And, and everything is there. Yeah. It's, it's not like that this disappears. No, it actually comes more through this. Sound, shape, color, aliveness. So in the, oh, there's nothing there. I, I, I don't exist. Shit. I, who am I? What the heck? I can't find myself. I can find feelings and thoughts and sensations and memories and my name and my gender and all the mistakes I made, I can find all of that. But there's more. So what is that more? So, wow. Wow, there's nothing there. Shit. What the heck I'm defending all the time? What do I worry about? There's nothing to defend. There's just openness. There's just presence. And, and that presence, that openness, is in love with everything, naturally, innately. There is a goodness in that. It's nothing, and it embraces everything, it pervades everything. And one of the words 
people come up with after they come up with there's nothing there, holy shit. I don't exist. Then uh, what people come, uh, well, what, what shines through then is pure love, infinite love. And you know that place. And here, no, I don't mean conceptually. I'm not talking about an object which can be known, understood, or even described conceptually. So all the blah, blah, blah I'm doing now is, is just like, you know, this is part of the fish. <laughs> it's, it's part of the fish. But, but uh, kind of pointing to it or like, you know, they, they are called pointers, these, these images, these words. There might be a resonance. It's a different kind of knowing. Completely different. So different that initially it seems to be completely stupid to, to, to try to share this. Because we are convinced that the only thing which we can know is objects, something we can describe. It's an it's a intuitive knowing. So one of the kind of common factors or skill, you could call it a skill, or uh, which uh, goes uh, across all the, the meditative uh, traditions, in, including uh, this, uh, this radical uh, um, view I, I just tried to describe. So one, one common factor in, the, in, in one's practice is the exploration of attentional stability. Attentional stability. So that's that's a, a, a mental factor, a capacity we all have. And uh, also in the meditative tradition, which are more progressive, you know, where you kind of where you have the view that yes, there is something like Buddha nature or something like that heaven, but it's in the future and I'm on the way and I need to train, I, I, I need to do a lot of things, I need to understand things, so I need to work, I need to do yoga, I need to do breathing exercise, I need to do therapy, I need to study this, I need to do more retreats, I need to sit at the feet of the guru, uh, you know, all this. So, so also in that tradition, atten attentional stability is an important thing to become aware of. But also here, in the direct approach, in the direct path, which is not really a path. 
So what is attentional stability? So attentional stability is when your attention stays engaged with what is important to you. This is so important to become more curious about where does my attention go? And do I actually want to be engaged with that, which where which where my attention just goes? And how much freedom do I actually have? How much freedom do I have to direct to work with my attention? Can I shift my attention to something which is important to me? And then stay engaged with that. So I consciously avoid words like concentration or focus because they they are very bad translation of what I now translate as uh, stability and attention because when we hear concentration or focus it, for us it implies some kind of narrowing the narrowing and kind of like this concentration is like this narrowing and, and it's connected with a sense of effort with a sense of work and some people try to meditate like this and it's very frustrating because the 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 the, this fish, this fish, the, the conditioned mind has its own life. It's out of control. It would be wonderful if there would be like the the boss fish, yeah, like the one who has the power, and he can like he goes a bit out of the group and he shouts, "Hey, everyone listening! So now we are all watching the breath." Yeah. And the ones who kind of swim somewhere else, I punish them. And it's just not working out. Maybe for, for moments, I mean, we all can, can concentrate, but it's very exhausting. You know, people who need to concentrate a lot in their work, like, they need to have a break, like you know, pilots or something. No, not the pilots. They don't need to concentrate all the time. But the people who, in the air tower, who look who is coming in and things like that, with 50, they need to be retired. And they need to have a break, like every two hours or something, because it's so hard. So imagine you try to meditate like this. It's like every meditation is is not increasing your vitality but decreasing it because it's so hard to try to control that which you can't control. So that's why I I try not to use words like concentration or focus. I'm I'm even trying not to use the word meditation because uh, uh, for many of us with the word meditation comes the word concentration comes the word focus and comes also this idea it's about not having thoughts 
like you know the idea that meditation is about getting rid of all the fish and that's impossible buddhist meditation is not about trying to get rid of the fish it's uh uh cultivating a different relationship to the fish and and and, and and cultivating a meditation, a, a certain kind of meditation with the fish, which makes it possible for the for the awareness of the ocean. So it's already, of course, decreasing your your subjective level of suffering when you change the relationship to your feelings and thoughts from. Shame, fear, guilt. That's how we often relate to feelings. We are afraid of them. We are ashamed of them. We don't like them. We don't want to have them. So that's the most heartbreaking, unhealthy, stressful relationship we can have with our feelings with our thoughts, with the sensations in the body. It's like war. It's a constant war. So when we change that relationship through different practices like allowing, letting be, self-compassion, learning to welcome, decreasing the fear of feelings, Starting to discover, hey, I can, I'm a human being. So I have feelings. I, I can have my feelings. They are not dangerous. They're not poisoning. So in that moment, there is a reduction of the resistance, and it's resistance to what is, which is experience of suffering. So less resistance decreasing of suffering, less resistance, less suffering. But then, from there, from the Buddhist point of view, that's wonderful, and let's do anything which uh, decreases uh, the sense of subjective suffering, but it's a stepping stone. From that, then, the question, who am I, becomes accessible. Who, are, who am I without referring to thoughts? Who am I without referring to memories? Who am I refer, uh, without referring to judgments? Yesterday, you know, the question, why am, why am I here? Yeah? Which uh, in some of you also kind of became a more generalized question. Why, why am I here? Why am I here? I mean, you can try to answer that question by going into the head and thinking about it, but I can already tell you it's hopeless. Yeah. You can have of course, like 
myths and philosophies. Uh, why why are we here? Yeah, but it will it will that kind of answer will not really satisfy. It's a, it's provisional, it's temporary. There's beautiful answers to that question. I love them. These answers in the myths of the different wisdom traditions, but it's not really satisfying. What actually that question is pointing to is pointing to the question, who am I? And if a sense of I am, that a very deep sense of I am, and then even that I am drops, then it's not that the question is being answered on a conceptual level, but it's, it's insignificant. It doesn't matter. A tree is not asking herself, uh, what, why am I here? It's just this. And that's self-validating. It's self-fulfilled. So the, the question of why I'm here is being answered through beingness. So attentional stability, a stepping stone. So this is quite an important point in the Buddhist teachings because some people, they have a provisional goal in their meditation of more focus uh, and the provisional benefits, you know, like in mindfulness practice, the provisional benefits of being more attentive, being more in the present moment. But uh, that's not a liberating practice in the view of Buddhism. It's a provisional, bit more, hopefully more peaceful, more satisfied place, way of living. So we go further in the Buddhist tradition. Attentional stability and then inquiry, self-inquiry, vipassana, inside meditation. That's the liberating practice. And this, it seems that more capacity we have to, towards attentional stability, kind of more likely it is to break through, you could say. More likely it is that there's space for the ocean, the knowingness, the witnessing. There's space for God to shine through. If we are completely, desperately hanging on the fish, there, there's no time. There's no. It's just like it's a trance. It's like it's just so contracted. I mean, God needs to scream very loudly to come through, and He's usually not doing. She is usually not doing that because yeah. she has all the time in the world. She's calling gently. But you need to hear. And then you need to take her hand. That's the surrender. But in order to hear her, which is you, it seems to help to have some capacity for attentional stability. So attentional stability, there's different factors involved. One is, you know, I'm using a model of uh, Buddhist psychology which is called the 51 mental factors. 
which is one way to categorize the different factors and capacities of our mind. And one of them is attention. That's one mental factor, one capacity. Like, I could now have some influence on your attention through the question, how is your right foot? Yeah? How's your right foot? So, maybe you think, I'm not interested in that. But, but let's imagine, uh, suddenly it's like a little, huh, yeah, oh, I, I have not, I haven't been in touch with my foot, my right foot today. Let's, let's check in. So, and then a, a miracle happens. And, and you don't really know how you do it. Because, uh, you know, it's not like something physical. I mean, you, you don't know. What are you moving if, the, if your attention goes to the right foot? But you can do it. It's naturally. And, and if, I say, if I don't say, so now it's very, like, it's very important now that you focus, that you concentrate on the right foot and... And uh, if you don't do it, you are not a good person and you, are, you lose your seat as practitioner. Yeah? So then that's the kind of meditation I want to discourage. But if I gently and curiously, like a little child, you know, like with, with some wonderment in my voice when I ask, how's your, how's your precious right foot, so precious, carrying you around? Feel the aliveness, twiggle your big toe. Isn't that isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And and can you feel the aliveness? Maybe you feel tired today, or you know, there's something difficult happening in you. But maybe you notice, wow, my 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 right foot is quite happy. It's just like I'm still, yeah. and then you know you can take care of it, through, even to touch, but even like to that kind of awareness. So what I just did, you know, kind of uh, putting some sparks of curiosity, you know, that's how we nurture stability of attention. Kindly, gently, with wonderment, with a sense of falling in love, with a sense of care. And experiencing how when we pay to what we pay attention uh, to in in that way it becomes alive you know if there's some stuckness in the foot as soon as we pay attention to to that in in a gentle kind way something happens so your your mind your 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 capacity to pay attention kind of goes more and more naturally towards what you could call the primary meditation object. Which now in this short mini, 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 mini meditation was the sensation in your foot. That was the primary meditation object. And your attention went there if you played along with me because you became curious. There was a maybe with a bit of a touch of caring, a touch of wondering. 
And then attentional stability is something very natural. It just grows. It's effortless. It's playful. So one uh, uh, one uh, uh, one direction uh, uh, to explore, you know, when we're sitting here quietly, is uh, what what where 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 you know what what in your experience um, can uh, support that kind of attitude. And for some it's sound, for some it's touch, for some it's movement, for some it's taste, for some it's smell. For some it's the breath. Maybe later I can give a bit of a pep talk towards uh, uh, to, to kind of spark that appreciation and that gratitude and that curiosity towards the breath. It's, it, 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 it makes sense that in, in a lot of contemplative traditions for beginners, initially the way they cultivate uh, uh, attentional stability is th through the breath. That makes sense, but it's not—it's not for everyone. No. For some people, it's—it's it's not the most supportive primary meditation object. So the five sense gates—that's what I would like you to explore in the sitting but also in the breaks, gravitating to the five sense gates. So what that means is we are approaching just seeing, just hearing, just feeling, just sensing the breath. So we gravitate away from mental images and commentaries, kind of bare experience. We start to perceive what is happening within the five sense gaze as energy. So I might say something like, what is the sensation of discomfort in your belly, for example, without words? What is it actually? without mental images. And again, that question is an invitation or invitation for your attention to become curious. Without thoughts? Hmm. What does it mean to experience this, which I maybe call restlessness or anxiety, and I've localized through mental images in a certain part of my body. What is that actually? So you kind of, you peel away the layers of projections, the layers of stories. 
what is actually there. And, you know, deeper, deeper you go, layer after layer, less you will find. So then there's another mental factor here, um, which is called introspection. And uh, that um, mental factor is our capacity. It's, it's kind of, it's like a, it's a capacity to monitor where your attention is. Yeah. So initially, that capacity is in a kind of dormant state. So it could happen in the beginning when we sit down and, okay, so let's, let's dance with the breath. Let's bring the sensation of the breath in the, into the foreground. And then you go with the fish in all directions. So you forget the primary meditation object. Completely forget. Then in the end, there's a sound. And you kind of, you, you, you like a wake up from the running around with the fish. Ah, yeah. Oh, yes, the breath. And yesterday, uh, I mentioned that you know, one kind of a purpose for is me sometimes saying something is not so much that I have something important to add, it's just more like this. Yeah? It's kind of a reminder of that mental factor of introspection to check. And then slowly, slowly, when that dormant capacity of introspection wakes up and gets, uh, uh, gets rewarded and it becomes more daring, then it becomes more and more effortless. You don't, you don't need to remind yourself. So with time, you slowly start to notice even when your attention kind of gets a little interested, like a little interested in another fish. Yeah? So you start to notice that. And then you relax and you let go. So the mental factor which then keeps the mind, keeps the attention kind of glued to the... It's a kind of mental glue. That mental glue, that's what, strictly speaking, is mindfulness. Sati. It's that, that mental glue. It's remembering. Well, sati can be translated as memory. So you remember what is important to you in that moment, what you want to pay attention to. So we have attention. So let's say this is the object. So, and I say something, how is your belly? So your, your, oh, this, like this, or like this. So this is the sensation in the belly. So I, I, and this is your awareness. So I ask the question, um, how's your belly? So your attention goes there and checks, investigates. So goes goes there. With uh, intimacy, 
but also with a certain distance. It's a it's a bit paradoxic, yeah. So you 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 become more intimate with with your experience, but you don't lose yourself in it. You are not like you you're not um, you're not you're not becoming overwhelmed by it. This is important, particularly if the if the object, your primary meditation object, is something unpleasant, like 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 anxiety or physical pain. So we find the right balance of intimacy and still there is that witnessing capacity. So that's attention. So introspection, now I would need a third hand. So introspection is the, the capacity to kind of in the beginning, kind of intentionally check, how am I doing? Am I still dancing with what I wanted to dance? Or am I actually dancing some, with something else, with someone else? And uh, that becomes, uh, with, uh, with more famili- familiarity with meditation, that becomes very natural and effortless. So it's not. it sounds maybe a bit... Oh, then I have to watch and judge, but it's not like that. It's it's a natural capacity, which is dormant, because we have not we have not played with it enough. So, in in some in some um, uh, instructions. Um, the recommendation is to kind of choose a primary meditation object, a dance partner for a certain meditation, and then stick with it. And that makes sense. Like if you have done kind of hardcore shamatha practice with the breath, then uh, so the practice is breath, and then you go off, and then you bring back your attention to the breath, and you do that again and again. So until then the moment where that mindfulness glue is really keeping you engaged with the breath. Uh, that's one approach. Another approach is um, which you could call flexible awareness. So uh, flexible awareness can be a bit of a combination with, with what I just described. So you might start with the breath or you might start with the sensation in your hands, or uh, with a pleasant or unpleasant sensation, or with a sound, and you dance with that, you keep engaged with that, uh, you, you cultivate uh, attentional stability with that, but then something else happens. Let's say uh, a lower back pain. So your primary dancing partner is the breath, and then suddenly there's the lower back pain, which maybe for some time you can lovingly ignore. It's not so much competing, yeah? But at one point, it might really compete for your attention. It's like shouting, hey, here, I'm also there, I need some of your attention, and you insist on the breath, yeah? You kind of, because you're a good boy, 
a good girl and you have got some instruction by someone. It didn't work for that someone also, but he didn't tell you. Yeah? <laughs> so he, he, he pretended that that's the way to go. Uh, that's the, you know. So, uh, so, and then something, something, that is a very frustrating meditation. Yeah, so because your, your attention is like, it's like you try to, with effort, uh, to stick with the breath, but it would be actually completely appropriate and probably the most healthy uh, to say, okay, I, since it's about attentional stability, it doesn't matter with what I discover that. It doesn't need to be the breath. It doesn't need to be the Buddha. It can be my pain in the lower back. That's also a, a valid dance partner for, 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 uh, for uh, uh, cultivating uh, attentional stability. And plus, it has temporary, it has health benefits. Because what you pay attention to in a loving way starts to move, starts to heal. Because where your attention goes, she goes, prana goes, life's energy goes. So, of course, if you go there with a sledgehammer to get rid of it, uh, then, uh, <laughs> then you make it worse, because then you increase the resistance. But uh, loving attention is, is, is a medicine. It's actually such a powerful medicine that it could be the only medicine we rely upon in inner work. And in the end, any psychotherapeutical work comes to that place. I mean, you do a lot of words and techniques and stuff like this, but in the end, what really brings healing is, uh, is the loving relationship. It's the loving field. That brings healing. So, I'm not implying now we, uh, we all should now pick the most difficult uh, what's happening in our experience also in our, uh, as our dance partner. It is also important to find a bit of a balance between pleasant objects and difficult objects. To find a bit of a balance. So if you are a kind of having unpleasant experience sucker, you know, you really like to kind of look what's wrong in my body and there the attention goes. Some people are like that. Maybe it's good to ask the question, okay, yeah, there's that tension in my belly. It comes from fear. But is there actually parts of my body which are fine? which are more alive. If, you are, uh, uh, if your main strategy is suppress and, you know, and try to feel good and you, know, and you always go to good, trying to have fantasies and good thoughts and trying to ignore that which is difficult, then it's good to shift the balance a bit to 
yeah, yeah, I can, I can have some good thoughts about it and stuff like that, and, and yeah. But uh, then maybe it's maybe it's interesting for you to to uh, to uh, break that pattern and go towards that which is unpleasant, and then you find a healthy balance between these two. So my suggestion is uh, through the journey of a sitting that there is some flexibility. I mean, of course, if your practice right now and it makes sense for you to like, do the breathing meditation or uh, stability with sounds or sight or some, uh, other sensations in the body, so that's fine. But my suggestion is give also some space for flexibility. So, so in this approach of flexible, flexible awareness, there's no obstacles, there's no hindrances in meditation. Everything can become supported meditation. So if you are sitting here and you want to, your wish is, oh, I want to have a really good, clear, focused meditation with the breath, and then you start and you start to figure out, shit, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, then one could call that a hindrance, but why not talk calling it a possible support in your meditation. So how, uh, how can the sensation of being tired, how can I find a peaceful coexistence with it? Can I explore it, actually? What is that actually uh, being tired? How do I know that I'm tired? What are the body sensations associated with being tired? Where is it? Where is that? And why? Why is it difficult to be with it? I mean, it's so what? I'm tired. So what's the problem? What's the problem with that? Yeah. So now, again, what's the problem with that is not a question meant to bring you into the head and think about it. It's a, it's a, it's a question which has the intention to make you curious, to really ask, like with, a, with, with, with wonderment. What, what is it actually to be, to be tired? And what makes it difficult to be with it? Can I, fall, can I fall in love with being tired? Being in awe with being tired? Okay, so that was a long talk. That was the longest talk for this retreat. So to kind of shift uh, into the meditation, I suggest that we do a bit of standing and some, some gentle movements so that we can shift. So while you get up, feel if your body feels like stretching a bit. So find a... Find some space around you. Maybe you can also use a bit the back. Because we will lift our arms at one point. Yeah, so maybe we can start like this. Yeah. Uh, maybe you, I don't know if you do that also in Sweden. You imagine a little child and asking that child, how tall are you? And the child is, I'm so tall. I'm so tall. <laughs> Yeah, and that big. Yeah, so 
And is there someone else who can touch it? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely told it. <laughs> That's <laughs> I can touch the Okay. So the standing posture, so that's a meditation posture, and let's explore that a little. So your feet are not too close and not too far away, so maybe kind of under your shoulders. Yeah. And your knees are slightly bent, just slightly so the energy can flow. And the chest is open. If you like, you can close your eyes. And bring your awareness to your feet. Allow the breath to flow where it wants to flow. The Head is balanced on top of the spine with the chin slightly tucked in. So like in the sitting uh, posture, we are looking for alignment or balance with gravity. And so that means the posture <coughs> remains uh, alive. It's not that we lock ourselves into a certain posture, so it's, a, it's, it's moving. Yeah? And uh, to find the balance, maybe you could shift your weight a little, so you shift the weight a little to the, uh, to the fore, um, to the Toes, or what becomes what is behind the toes, you know, that part of the of the foot, and then the heels and the back. So you shift a big, bit back and forth. And the image here is a tree, you know, which is deeply rooted and stable, but also flexible and resilient. So it moves all the time with the wind. Softening. So you can also move gently to the sides. Just see if you can find a place of balance so that the skeleton like stands by itself aligned with gravity. That takes a while. It's like with a sitting posture. So, But if you find that place, then you come to a place where it feels like, oh, wow, I can stand like this for a long time. The whole body is breathing. 
the position of the hips and with that the position of the spine so notice that just allow your skeleton your body to find a place where it's most comfortable where the energy can flow most easily and that's an ideal which we will never get to but uh, we can approach that so knees are slightly bent particularly if you are, have the habit of locking your knees so then softening the belly softening the shoulders If you get dizzy, then you can just sit down again or squat. Play a bit with your hips. There's slight movements. So maybe from outside it looks like you're really standing still, but inside it's like the sitting posture. So maybe people think that the sitting posture is this kind of block of iron or something, but it's actually alive like this. It's moving. It moves with the breath, it moves with your feelings, it moves with your thoughts. There's no stability. I like no permanent stability. It's a resilient resilience like a tree. like in the sitting posture with the standing posture there's a sense of I have the right to be here this is my place I'm standing on earth well, the Buddha made this earth touching mudra the earth is my witness I have the right to be here And with the standing posture, the same with the sitting posture, there's a commitment of expressing the willingness to feel what you feel. Keep the posture alive. Give it space. And maybe you still have the sense that you are somehow a rider on the body, like maybe in your head, kind of looking down. Oh, this is my body. And you are, but you are, I'm actually up in the brain or something like that. So see if you can relax that notion. It's, like it's completely, completely hallucination. So drop into the whole body, inhabit the whole body the toes to the top of your head, including the hands and the arms. There is no owner of the body, there is no rider in the body. Now awareness is pervading the whole body. There is no center in the body. 
or control center. Actually, now we find more and more out that most of our thoughts and feelings are actually produced by the guts. Dropping thoughts are not good for thinking. I have the right to be, and I'm willing to feel my feelings. A spacious aliveness in your body. Maybe you can also try to drop the mental image of the body. Many people who say, I'm aware of my body, they actually are aware of a mental image. What is the body, the experience, the felt sense of your body without mental images? The hips, the spine. Now keep the spine alive. And if there's, you feel rigidity in the body, see if you can breathe a little with that. But as soon as you try to walk into a certain position, see if you can soften. roots into the earth and feel the sky above. So now let's roll the head a little. So we start by gently bringing the head forward to the chest. letting go and then you imagine that you have a cushion around your neck like the ones you can use in airplanes to support the neck and then you feel how you roll your head on that cushion to one side and then to the back and do it your pace so And the primary meditation object here is breath and movement. And so there is a, a way to do this very neutral and like almost as if you are moving a thing. But uh, the invitation here is now to do this with care, with love. 
Now, as if you're giving someone a massage. So maybe you can find the difference. So doing this movement with tenderness, with care. Breathing into that movement. How, how deep can you feel it in the shoulders, in the, in the back? And what does this movement do with your feet? Notice how the, everything in the body is interconnected. you have rolled into one direction and the next time you come to the front you pause and then you move into the other direction the knees are soft so see if, if the rest of your body can stay flexible resilient alive and kind of moves with the movement of your neck, the movement of the head. And remember exploring the possibility of tenderness, of gentleness, giving yourself a caring touch. is a sense of letting go. Maybe deepening the breath a little. And see if you can do it slightly different. smaller movement or bigger movements, faster or slower. How's your feet? Next time you come to the front, you pause. Letting go with the out breath. Maybe dropping your shoulders. 
slowly, you come up very slowly. chest come back to a sense of dignity there's actually a sense of don't mess with me in this posture really like taking your space and standing like a queen yourself, see if you can soften that rigidity. And just uh, notice the aftermath, there's something different. Can you feel the movement still in your chest, in your hands? Next, uh, I invite you to bring your palms to your face and cover your face gently. Shoulders are relaxed. And then gently move your hands. So give yourself a bit of a massage in the way you like. And here again, you can do it mechanically, okay, so this is my face, I'm touching my face as if it's a dead, dead thing. Or can you bring some care into it, some wonderment? As if you are touching a person you really care. Flexible, you can also go into your hairs. You can use the palm of your hands or your fingertips. Also, your ears. deep can you feel this touch into your body? If you go deep into your body, you might even feel that by touching your face and your ears, you actually also touch your feet. That there's a connection. Also go into the neck.
also notice if you get bored by this. Yeah? It's like, like, what's this touching myself? So that's also a possible experience. That it's difficult for you to touch you lovingly. But maybe you can be a bit more tender. and then you gently let your hands come down again. Breathing a bit deeper. And just notice. How do you feel? Touch. How's your hands? Did it do something with your solar plexus and with your belly? Next, let's roll the hips a little. So you start by just bringing your hips forward. You can keep your eyes closed if that's comfortable. And then you find your own way to move to the side, to the back. And maybe you want to do very hardly noticeable movements. Or maybe you really want to stretch forward and then to the side. And also notice what pace does your body like. Maybe small quick movements or and how does it feel to move your hips like that? You can also make an eight with the hips. Find your own way to move your hips. And shift your weight in the feet. And breathe into the hips. And again, you might have the sense that you are somewhere, somewhat up in the head and you're moving the hips down there. My hips, I have hips and I'm up here. So see if you can relax that and drop into the hips and experience the hips where they are, not from above. And uh, try different movements. So be a bit curious. And see if you can feel something you have not felt so far. In the breath. 
what feelings arise when you move the hips? Maybe you feel awkward. Maybe it feels good and releasing. Maybe you feel it's the most boring thing to do. And, and that all of that is fine. So the primary meditation object here is the movement of the hips and the breath. That doesn't mean that there is not space for something else. So there's my voice and there's sounds, other sounds, and there's other sensations and there's your thoughts. But uh, you try to keep the movement of the hips in the foreground. Thank you, hips. I notice the lower spine, the lower chakras, the perineum. And notice what the movement of the hips does with your with the rest of your body. How it's connected. some variation in the speed also. So and then slowly the movements become smaller stop them abruptly, you just slowly, slowly movement becomes smaller until it's hard, hardly visible. And we return to the standing posture. I'm just noticing aftermath. of the body. It's, pos it's probably not possible completely, but at least make it more transparent.
and then gently we turn to sitting. So in the sitting posture, there's the alignment with gravity. Softening of the belly and the shoulders. And the chest is somewhat open. Dropping into the body. And with each in-breath sliding even deeper. And then with the out-breath softening, letting go, going into space. And just notice. Notice the energies and let, let them flow where they want to flow. Let the numbness or stuckness just be what it is. But maybe you can sense a subtle aliveness, a vibration in your hands, in your belly, in your shoulders. I'm breathing with that. Unhooking from thoughts, I'm alive. Thank you. Thank you for this moment.
and notice how skillful the narrative self is to come up with new baits. Thoughts about the past, the future, commentary about what is happening now. And gravitate towards present moment awareness. Your hands, your belly, the breath, the sounds. Felt sense of emotions in your body. What is happening in front of your eyes, even if you have your eyes eyes closed. All that are possible sense gates. Gates into the stillness spaciousness of the present moment. It's just a thought. Separation is just a thought. Actually, me is also just a thought.
So there's sounds and thoughts, sensations, feelings, touch. content of your experience. Mental images. That is changing moment by moment. It's coming and going. Some of it stays a while and, and disappears by itself. But you, you, you are always there. You here with a capital letter. So can you give yourself the permission to relax the identification with the content? Could yourself could you allow yourself to inhabit the essential self, that which remains, the witness, the witnessing. Notice how strong the pull is to inhabit the sensations in your body, your thoughts, feelings, memories, your name, your habits. It's a strong pull to inhabit that. But all of that is coming and going, it's changing. All of that is objects of awareness, objects within consciousness. Can you surrender into inhabiting beingness, presence? You make a backward step. into that which remains when you stop thinking for a moment. You inhabit the mystery from where your attention comes from, from where the witnessing comes from. So you usually can feel like you inhabit the background instead of the foreground. You inhabit infinity, groundlessness. You inhabit the sky instead of the clouds, the ocean instead of the fish. 
the mirror instead of the reflections in the mirror. The stage instead of the drama. The container instead of the contained. You inhabit the perceiver, not the perception. You inhabit the experiencer, not that which is being experienced. You inhabit that which is bigger than you and includes you. sky and not the way. 